Today's episode of the Paddlewoo Podcast is brought to you by Blue Zone SUP. Blue Zone specializes in paddle surfing retreats and camps, and you guys have heard and seen loads about our surf and our coaching, but you have not seen or heard much about our area and our facilities. Here's recent guests, Adam and Lindsay, talking about their trip to the Blue Zone. Paddling in Garza is magical. I felt very zen at that time. I probably could have laid on my board and just, <laughs> could have just left me there and I would have been great. It would have been awesome. Fresh salads and fresh uh, fruit smoothies, just out of this world. Fresh pureed drinks, I just felt healthier. The sunsets are the best I've ever seen in my life. And then of course the sunsets. Every two minutes at night was the best time <laughs> of the trip, just to catch those. Uh, zip lining was so much fun. The horseback riding was absolutely unbelievable. Casa Corona is its own little magical paradise. The master suite in the top is out of, out of this world. <laughs> the master bedroom suite is banging. I will, can I come live here? <laughs> can I tell them to move in? Uh, Adam Champagne, I'm the graphic designer and marketing director for Stand Up Journal. My name is Lindsay Sharp and I'm the communications manager and brand content manager at Sotheby's International Realty. Corporate. I'm coming back. We're planning our next trip. Book your trip at bluezonesup.com or email me directly at eric, E-R-I-K, at paddlewoo for private retreat inquiries. Can't wait to see you guys in the Blue Zone. It's the Paddlewoo Podcast. What's up, fans of the Paddlewoo Podcast? I hope you guys are doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm going live on this intro. Sometimes I script these things. Today I'm just going to ramble. I hope you guys enjoy it. <clears throat> um, today's guest on the show is Eric Logan. Uh, Eric uh, Logan is the president of the Oprah Winfrey Network. And if you're wondering why in the world he's coming on the Paddleboo podcast, it's because he is a bigger fan of our sport than I am. I always thought I was the biggest fan of the sport, but it turns out I'm not. It's Eric. Uh, and a few months ago, after, I'm not sure which episode it was, I, uh, going back probably about three months, I get an email from Eric Logan, and he's saying, you know, I've listened to the show, I enjoy what you're doing, if you ever need any advice or anything like that, hit me up. It was a really incredible, nice email to get from someone who doesn't know me from Adam. And... Uh, so I, I sent him an email back, said thanks a lot. We started a dialogue and had a couple really interesting conversations. And a couple of those would have made incredible podcasts, especially when we get into chatting about the industry uh, that we, you know, the SUP industry here. And so I asked him if he'd be interested in coming on the show, and he said that he'd love to. And so to give you a little bit of background on why he's relevant outside of just being a fan, he is friends and helps, I would say advises, I don't know if that's overstepping, but some of the biggest names in our sport. He is a partner uh, with Laird Hamilton on Laird's apparel line. He's a good friend of Dave Kalama and has been going to Kalama camps for a long time and uh, answers questions for Dave. And then also uh, Dave Vaney in Infinity Surfboards. And so some of the, those are some of the biggest names in our sport. And they look up to Eric Logan. And so if they're looking up to Eric Logan, you might also want to hear what he has to say. So I brought him on the show. And what ensues is about an hour of uh, talk about the SUP industry. And then at the end, you know, he is the president of the Oprah Winfrey Network, works at Oprah's right hand. 
And so I ask him a couple questions about what that experience is like and what he's learned from working alongside Oprah, which is an interesting answers there. Um, all right. So we also still have the 27 North promo going 27 North. I'm a huge fan of what they do. And I really, I really like Phil and Mike who run, uh, Mike McGann and Phil Gallo who run 27 North paddles and fans of the show get a 20% discount off of my favorite paddles the Enegra or the Kevlar. I generally use the Kevlar these days, but uh, by using the promo code PADDLEWOO, P-A-D-D-L-E-W-O-O. So head on over to 27northusa.com and utilize uh, the promo code discount that you get for just being a fan of the show. Cost you nothing. Just, uh, just enjoy that. So in the blue zone, what's been going on here lately? The surf, it's been a strange year. So we've had... You know, Hawaii has been firing, and we generally will pick up North Swells. Going back about four or five years, our region of Costa Rica, uh, it seemed as though the forecasters didn't know that we received North Swell. And so if they mentioned anything about a North Swell, it was always probably two times bigger than what they were calling. And a lot of times they wouldn't even call it, but if you followed Hawaii, you would, you would know when those swells are coming. Well, that changed here in the last two years, and now they predict the swells for us which is great, except for the fact that they haven't figured out the angles uh, 100%, and they keep overcalling these north swells. And, you know, a two-foot at 18-second south swell period, or south swell for us, two feet at 18 seconds is going to be head high to a few feet overhead and, and pretty much pumping. And lately, those they're calling those out of the north, and they've been showing up at waist to chest high. Well, I don't know what's, the, what's happened with this latest swell. I guess the direction is different, but this morning I wasn't expecting much, and I got down there. Sun's coming up, and the surf was just pumping. So you have a tired, very happy host today because I just surfed for three hours, and that's why this thing is live is because there's no way that I was going to have the motivation to script anything out for you. Um, so I just figured I'd hit it running. Um, also, th back in the day, I used, to, I used to come home and crush a big espresso before I'd get into that. And I'm not drinking any ca caffeine any coffee right now. So it's a little bit tougher motivating for work. I don't have a problem motivating to surf. That seems to come pretty easily. But when it comes to sit down after surfing for a few hours um, without that espresso, it is a bit harder. So, all right, let's hop into the show. Um, Eric Logan is the guest and enjoy. Shoot me emails, questions, anything you guys need. Eric, E-R-I-K at paddlewoo.com. All right. Eric Logan, thank you very much for being on the Paddle Blue Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Eric. Great to be here. Big fan. First time caller, time fan. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. I appreciate that. Um, for folks who don't know your story, and I'm sure in the intro I will give a little bit of it, but why don't you give us an overview of who you are and what you do and why you're relevant to stand-up paddling? Well, I don't know why I'm relevant to stand up paddling, but uh, we'll, we'll try to see if in the next 60 minutes we can figure out why I'm relevant. Um, <laughs> but I would, I would say that uh, uh, I started off uh, in radio in Oklahoma City. Uh, I was working through high school, kind of grew up in the radio side of the business, uh, moved around quite a bit uh, in what I did for a living. Programming stations, 
worked my way up to be more of a corporate guy. I uh, worked for CBS Radio for many years and bounced around and uh, ultimately landed about eight years ago as the executive vice president at Harpo in Chicago with Oprah. And uh, was very honored and privileged to be there for the end of the Oprah Winfrey show and sort of the formation of OWN, the, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And about four years ago, Oprah uh, selected Sherry Salata, our, the, the EP at the time of the Oprah Winfrey show, and myself to be co-presidents of Harpo and OWN. So um, I've done a lot of things in media. Uh, most of my background has been looking at businesses prior to my experience and time with Oprah uh, from a turnaround perspective. I would see companies or radio stations primarily that were underperforming and figure out how to bring value to them and turn them around. So that's a little bit of kind of what I do, but live in LA now. And, um, you know, to, to your question about relevance uh, to the stand up paddling world, I think the only relevance I really truly have, Eric, is the fact that I'm just uh, a crazy fan. And I think that, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll dive into it, but sort of my, my journey getting into falling in love with the sport and all aspects of the sport is probably very indicative, I think, of just, you know, probably the everyday kind of Joe that would get into it. There's some differences, but um, I, I, I find it to be enormously rewarding on a personal level for a lot of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. But I, I also think that, you know, when I look at it, from where I sit and what I have done in my career over the past three decades of brands and raising companies and turn them around, you know, I just see such opportunity ahead of us from an industry point of view. And I, I have found it to be very rewarding to start leaning into things like that. How did you fall for paddle surfing? What was your first introduction to the sport? Well, you know, it, it, the story, the story kind of starts a little bit, you know, uh, on my 41st birthday, 40, 40, just turned 45. Um, I, like I said, we grew up in Oklahoma, had no place that I ever was ever wanted to be in the water. In fact, I grew up my entire life being afraid of the water. That's the funny thing. Uh, in Seattle, when I was 23 years ago, I wouldn't even get on a boat, wouldn't even get on a ferry to go to Bainbridge Island. So 41st birthday here, my wife, Erin, Literally, is a joke. We live in Manhattan Beach. Bought me a wetsuit. It was a 4-3 O'Neill with a back zipper. And I was having all sorts of weird problems turning 40. Like every male has a midlife crisis. I was just like, I'm not cool anymore. And started believing all the things my daughter said to me. And she says, no, you're cool. Just here's a wetsuit. Go out there and surf with everybody else. So I get the wetsuit. And I have this picture, by the way, where I have the zipper on backwards like every kook would. And I just zip it up. And I, I mean, total kook of the day, zipper the wrong way kind of thing. And and uh, I kind of get into the water, I think, as like somebody like yourself as an experienced surfer did, sort of kind of working my way up through the progression chain very, very fast. You know, go out from the boogie board, realize that, you know, 41 years old with a bunch of nine-year-olds on a boogie board isn't the image you're going for. And then you try surfing. You know, the guys put you on the barn door, and then you start working yourself down. So I was dueling around Manhattan Beach, and I came across this surf shop when I was there called Nico Kai. And uh, the owner of the shop is a guy by the name of Jason Shanks. And, and my wife and I had noticed over the summer when the Pacific had laid down up here, it's a lake. And all these people are on these paddle boards. And I'm like, well, that looks kind of fun. So we bought a 10-0 Nash Mana 32 wide, I mean, big enough that, you know, you could put the whole family on basically. And to start paddling around the ocean, it was so cool to be standing up versus, you know, in the water. 
and you get that sort of vibe and stoke and then you know you say oh it's a small day so you see guys surfing them you try surfing them and the first wave i caught where i didn't have to like arch my back and stress my lower back as a 40 year old guy on a shortboard i was like well this is really cool i can see the waves and then i started questioning why does everybody why does everybody not do this it's it's so much better so Anyways, and then from there, it just snowballed and took off into a million different directions. But that's kind of how I got into it. You had some unique coaches at the beginning. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind, of, kind of a great story. Um, someone said, well, who taught you how to paddle surf? And uh, well, the story kind of goes that here at Own, we have this amazing show called um, uh, Oprah's Masterclass. And one of our masters we had in one of our earlier seasons was a guy named Laird Hamilton. And, you know, being new to the sport, I was just obsessed with Laird. So that in that October of uh, 20, uh, 2012, I think it was 20, yeah, 2011 or 2012, I'll get the date for you. But in that October, we had this event in downtown Los Angeles called OU. And it was a, an event put on by Oprah's magazine. And Gabrielle Reese was doing something with uh, the magazine. And everybody was, all the women were very excited to see Gabrielle. And it's like, oh, look, there's Gabby. And Gabby's wonderful and stunning and beautiful and all that. And of course, I'm like, oh my God, there's Lord Hamilton. And so we happened to get on an elevator. And this is one of my favorite things to tell people this part of the story is that I walk up to Laird and I apologize from the get-go. I said, I am so sorry. I do not want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. And then I just start completely <laughs> like, you know, oh my God, you're the greatest. And how do you do blah, blah, blah. His reaction is so important to this arc that I took because his reaction was one of, tell me what you're writing. Tell me why you love it. What can I do to help? Versus, oh, that's cool, kid. And sort of turn around and walk away because his, uh, that moment, he really, connected with me and was genuinely wanting to know what I loved about it so much. So he goes here, I want you to call this guy and he gives me a number and he goes, tell him I told you to call. I want to make you a board that really you can surf and teach you how to surf. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And so I write the number, I put it down in my pocket and we keep talking and we talked for like two or three hours because there's a whole reception going on afterwards. And it was great. So I tell my buddies in the lineup, you know, the next day, the story of Laird, and they're all freaked out and gruffy. And then one of my older friends goes, well, who, who is the guy? I go, I don't know, some guy named Bob Pearson. I don't know, do you know a guy named Bob Pearson? And everybody's like, are you kidding me? And then, so obviously I had no clue what a Pearson arrow was because I'm new to it all. And then I call Bob and, you know, the board that uh, Laird designed for me was a, was a 10-0. It was a, it was a 30 it was a pintail, round nose, the prototypical uh, board that is actually, if you come to my office and own it, sitting in my office over my televisions right now. And that's the board that Laird had designed for me. And then he called. He kept calling going, okay, send me video. I want to see how you're paddling. And he became a proxy coach. And then I'll, I'll kind of move to the next part and we can go from there, which was he said that um, there's a really cool event that happens with one of my very good friends that I want you to attend. And I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, so I want you to call this guy and I want you to really learn from him. Sure, anything, Larry. What is it? What's his name? Dave Kalama. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I called Dave Kalama and um, uh, through Laird's help, Dave invites me to my very first Kalama camp in Nomotu. And so I pack up my Laird board, you know, fresh out of the wrapper and take off to Fiji. 
And uh, I've been going to Kalama camp with Dave for the last three years and is one of my dear close friends. That's on my bucket list for sure. I definitely yeah, want to good... go uh, uh, surf with, with you guys down there soon. I love that place. Love Fiji. Well, it, I can tell you my first year where I was there, it was solid double overhead overhead and I had no business being there. And I, I thought I met my maker a few times, but you know, now, now kind of where I'm at, it's, it's, it is a highlight of my year. And I, and, and I, what's beautiful about that place, Eric, for anybody who hasn't been or of all levels over the course of a week, there's so many breaks there, as you know, so many different places you can ride. And even when it gets really unmanageable on some of those breaks, there's other places that turn on when it's big that is so manageable for beginners like I was at the time. So it's like Disneyland. It really is. It's pretty amazing. Oh, it's super amazing. I had a day where I surfed double overhead cloud break and then was riding waves with my, I think she was five, six, six-year-old daughter um, the same afternoon. So, Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, so, when it's double overhead at cloud break, I can tell you, I was in the channel with a cup of coffee, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting drugged across the reef, getting, getting yeah. all beat up. Um, oh, any, any time a reef's named Shish Kebab, by the way, it's one I don't want to understand how it got its name. How about that? I met Shish Kebabs within 15 minutes of hopping off the boat. I uh. had an intimate encounter and broke a board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Um, all right, so... At Oprah, uh, you are responsible for heading up, I'm sure, uh, storylines and shows. And so you have an eye for story. And when I look at the world of stand-up paddling and stand-up paddle surfing, um, I'd like to know what you think are the most compelling stories in our sport right now. Well, I think what's interesting about the storylines of our sport, Eric, is that you know there are so many. So I think part of what we as a sport and an industry have to sort of figure out is what is the story that we want to tell because what is beautiful about what we do in the water with all the different disciplines of, of stand-up i be at surfing which is really a big thrust of what you're doing here with paddle woo but obviously there's the flat water there's inflatables there's yoga i think what winds up happening is it's a blessing and a curse it's a blessing in that our sport is so accessible to so many people i think the curse is that certain aspects of our sport can overshadow the others. Um, this is, I know it's a big theme of yours that you talk about often, which is other aspects of our sport cast too broad of that shadow onto just the high performance surfing part that you do. And uh, I believe Clay and you had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago or here recently on your podcast where, you know, guys are in the lineup and they're barky and chirpy and we all hear them. Uh, and you had to develop the thick skin about these boards are big and these boards are too big when somebody like Dave Bainey and Mo Freitas are riding boards that are smaller than the shortboard guys that are sitting out there in the lineup anyway. And it's just an interesting dichotomy. So I think from a storytelling point of view, I, I look at it and say that this is one of the lowest barrier entry sports that you can possibly get into if you want to be in the water outside of just walking into the ocean. And what's beautiful about this sport, in my opinion, is that anybody at any level can enter it and really have multiple paths to go anywhere you want to go. And I think with, you know, you look at, you know, athletes when they go compete at the Payette River Games and you watch how athletes, you know, and you watch them do Molokai 
you see the Pacific Paddle Games, and then you watch the ISA Worlds, and you look at what Dave does on a way, or Slater, or certainly Mo Freitas and Kai. I think you, as a paddler, realize, wow, I have all these different ways to sort of help myself. But when you pull back from that big bucket of noise about who we are, the, the best thing about it is, is it gets you on the water. So I think our story has got to be sort of very, very, very simple. And I think we have to figure out how we, as an industry, want to tell that story. Uh, and it's hard because there's so many converging forces in that. All right. So since you kind of touched on it now, this is a later question, but I'll, but I'll hit you with it now. Sure. If tomorrow you woke up and you were the director president of stand-up paddleboarding, what would you do this year? What, what would be your outline of your objectives for the year to help the sport? Well, I think for paddling, I think what I would do uh, would be trying to figure out how people can understand how diverse we are as a sport and how different we are. And I think by doing that, it's you got to figure out from a discipline point of view, what are the disciplines you want to have? So I'll just sort of make it up as we go here. So, you know, if you look at, I believe the statistics say 80 to 85 percent of people who stand up do it not on a surfboard wave. They are more landlocked. Uh, they're more yoga boards. They're more harbor based. They're more like that. So a lion's share of our industry isn't aligned with where you and I may have our greatest degree of passion, Merrick. So I think what we do is we say, look, here's somebody like Candace Appleby, who's arguably the greatest female paddler let, in the world. Let me ask you a quick question here. Yeah, sure. Why do we care that it's not aligned? And why as surfers, and I might be playing devil's advocate here a little bit with sure. you, but, but why as surfers do we feel the need to be a part of the greater stand-up paddling culture, which does not um, have that much to do with with the actual art of riding waves, which is the passion that a lot of a lot of st- uh, stand up paddle surfers have. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I think it. I think it, it's because it depends on what side of the equation you want to answer the question on. I think, you know, if you look at it from a storytelling business point of view, take the business point of view for a second. You got to have both sides in order for you to have the business to be as successful as you want it to be. So, we'll, we'll get into so sort of the paddle surfing on its own is not a standalone sport. You know, I think paddle surfing on a lot is a discipline of the larger sport of paddling. That's the way I would look at it. And See, I look at of, it differently. I look at it like paddle surfing is a variation of surfing. And yep, it's just a I different way to, to ride waves. And then the rest it of it, is. I feel like, is foreign. Yeah, and, and I, I, my analogy would be, and, I, and I, I see your point of view for sure, but my analogy would be it's different than short, it's shortboard riding and longboard riding. You're still surfing. It's just that the, that the definition of how you define long and short is different. To me, I look at it more globally and say, okay, well, you have, you have stand-up and then you have stand-up surfing. So it, it's, a little bit of, it's a little bit of the same analogy, but from where I sit, I think that our industry and the sport of paddling is going to be better served by us figuring out how we leverage both pieces of this puzzle. And... I think from a from a from a purist point of view and from a surfing point of view, the surfer the surfing side of our industry is going to be better served by trying to always improve our surfing. And I, I agree that you're going to see WSL caliber surfers grabbing paddles and not doing it in the shadows of night. I think you and I both know there's many, many stories that are happening that you'd be surprised by the number of CT tour and WSL guys that are out there that are stand up paddling. 
those are going to start coming more into the for- forefront. That's going to be arguably the biggest part of validation for that part of our business. In the meantime, I think the scaling aspect, the attendance aspect, the growth aspect, the revenue aspect is going to be how do we embrace the totality of what paddling is. And, you know, I kind of get it back to, you know, all of my conversations with Laird and Dave. And, and it's not an either or situation. And I think talking to the two of them about that day in 95 that everybody's famous talks about is it's all about connecting people to the water. And I think our industry has the greatest propensity of succeeding when we gather more people to the water. So I guess so that's, 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 that's my view. Well, so I guess that's the question. The question is, do we want to convert surfers to become paddle surfers or do we want to go after people and bring them into the water as paddle surfers for the first time? And- yeah, listen, I mean, I, it, it, this is one of these great topics that I think, you know, you and I can probably agree to disagree on it today and 25 years from now, you know, when I build my house next to yours in beautiful Nassara, Costa Rica, uh, we can still be out in the lineup arguing about it. Well, I don't uh, know if we're arguing now. I'm no, just kind no, of playing no, no. devil's advocate no, here. No, no. And listen, we can turn the tables and you can make my argument and I can make yours. I, I would say this. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, from our the health of our sport, the way I look at it is that we don't really care where they come from. And, you know, to me, I think it's both. I think that there is a greater degree of acceptance that has to happen in these lineups. I am in the camp with you solidly that the fact that there are places where I can go in San Onofre and I'm regulated to surf dog patch with all of my guys and my friends at Infinity. And if I go north past old man, I'm going to have a state ranger write me a ticket. I think that that is crazy. I, I think it is ludicrous and crazy. So there's that aspect of what's going on. But at the same point in time, I think that by having more people embrace the sport, it actually forces that issue to be dealt with too. Because the more accepted the sport is and the bigger it becomes, the better chances we all have of greater acceptance. There's going to be a core, and you know it, Eric, as well as I do, and I have them in Manhattan Beach at the breaks that Jason and I surf all the time that just are like, scram kooks, get out of here kooks, you're going to hurt, and they'll drop in on you, and they do all the stuff that we all know that happens. But the reality of it is, it's not going away. And so how do we above it, and how do we gather our tribe, as we say in our business here at OWN, and build a healthier industry? My concern really is the, the sustained growth of our industry. That is where, when I look at the opportunity, I go, that's where we have to figure out how we keep innovating, how we keep advancing technology, and we have some great companies that do it. To me, that's the part that, I, that, I get, that really gets me excited. That will all translate down to exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, I do believe that as, well, I think the sport has a huge image problem. I think that when you think about stand-up paddle surfing, what comes to mind for 99% of people is not the reality of what's happening right now. Yeah. And the progression of the sport is only going to help sooner or later. It's the, the old stereotypes are going to erode away with what you see guys like Mo Kai and Zane doing, you know, it's sure. uh, that's happening at a rapid clip. The sad part is though, that the surfing world isn't really seeing it except yep. at big wave surfing right now. And those guys, it's a testament to the athletic ability 
of those guys, what they're doing in Hawaii this year. Have you been oh, following that? Oh my God. I mean, it's been like, you know, has Piahi ever been as awake as it's been as of, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, every morning I wake up and it's like, this happened yesterday at Piahi and it's like, does it ever stop? And you're watching guys paddle. I mean, that day that they ran the Piahi event and they're paddling into that thing with the winds going up the, I just, I don't even know what to say. And in the subsequent days and events, it's just, it's, it's really, it's impressive and beyond description as to what these guys are doing to push the boundaries. But, you know, you're touching on something here, I think, that's a, that, is a, that is a really big opportunity that's sort of the galvanizing force. And, and um, I think what we as a sport have got to also get our arms around and, and, and wrestle to the ground. And I know that Tristan is doing, you know, everything he can in this. But I think that, you know, when you look at the opportunity to showcase, to your point, the skills of our, of our athletes that we have, we, we have to put a system and a structure, and, and it has to be supported by our companies and our manufacturers and people that puts our athletes in the best possible light to perform. And how are we getting that to other people to see? Because therein lies a little bit of the chasm, I believe, and the disconnect from what is actually happening. And you see it day in and day out, and I have hints of it, and I see it. But how do you get the masses to see and understand really, you know, when you watch, you know, somebody like Giorgio Gomez, you know, do those aerials that he does, it's like, how does that happen? And you want to see that and you want to showcase that and you want to showcase Connor. You want to showcase these guys. That is an area that when I look at it from a media perspective, where I think we have to all as an industry figure out how to put our arms around and gather it. And there, my friend, is where I believe the, the, the surfing aspect of the discipline of the sport gets its brightest spotlight because that's the opportunity. Yeah, well, I agree that's the opportunity as well. Now, one thing, I, and I was kind of genning up some ideas for our discussion that I was thinking about is the difference between how the, the Waterman League and the, the contest with paddle surfing and racing their audience base versus like here in Costa Rica, the national tour includes stand-up surfing along with the, with the events. And so what you have there is you have the sport being exposed to the, some of the best surfers in Costa Rica and there being a respect and acceptance that's happening because of that situation. What would you think about, uh, following that model maybe, and maybe even having sponsors pay to put paddle surfing into certain um pro surf events well i I, listen i think if if there's a bridge to be built to take advantage of a larger audience you you got you got to invest in the bridge period um you know there's an old analogy when you build companies old m&a would tell you that you either what's called build or buy one of the two and you know there's no question that you know professional surfing events attract a larger audience than what we currently get with what our tour does so if there's an ability whether or not it's the vans us open or some other events that either a ct event or another pro event says you know what we want to put in a a stand-up event you know parallel with this that is a massive opportunity because you're taking advantage of the eyeballs because a majority of the people on the shore probably i would i would tell you are aware of it, 
but probably have never seen the level of excellence that our top tier surfers, men and women, and the women are getting better, by the way. I mean, Candace is fantastic. Obviously, you can't ignore what Izzy's doing, and Izzy's fantastic. Those, those surfers and the men's surfers will turn heads and open eyes. You see it as well as I do. When you go to a different break, Eric, and it's just a bunch of the standard you know, weekend warriors like myself that are paddling around, and then like when Bainey comes up and surfs with me at Manhattan Beach, people are like, who is that? I mean, it stands out like night and day because you know he's doing full rail turns, he's hitting tops, the bottom turns, better than most shortboard guys are, and he's doing it on a stand-up. So that, is, there, that bridge that you're talking about is one that, and it get, this is the word really, which is the leadership aspect of the sport and the industry. That's what it has to have. I mean, it, that is what we're looking for. And that leadership role and that vacuum needs to be filled. Because once it's filled, those opportunities are the ones you have to go for. Well, and, I'm, and I do want to add something here. I believe that that might have happened under Tristan's watch here with the backdoor shootout because stand-up yep. was involved, was included in the backdoor shootout. And I know from following his Instagram, Christian Tinman, which I don't know if that's his real name, but the guy who runs the stand-up world tour uh, media was running the backdoor shootout. So that might have right. been some collusion there already. Well, listen, I think that that's the right model for sure. And I think, you know, how do we, I mean, because listen, it's great that you can say, oh, look, there's guys, you don't see stand-up guys at backdoor or pipe. You just don't. And the fact that you see that there, it's like, hey, that's cool. I think that that is an amazing opportunity. And I think, so it's two things. I think you've got, you know, you've got that, which is where the masses are. That's how you expose it. But then you got to get on the other side to the business side of it. And you have to say to yourself, okay, from an industry point of view, how are we supporting that? How are we supporting our paddlers? You know, our paddlers are professionals. You know, do we have a business ecosystem that supports them? You know, there's, there's that aspect of it too. So, you know, when you, when you sort of look, and I've, I've taken a lot of time, you know, since I've kind of gotten into this to try to understand this industry, and I've got so many friends, whether or not it's, you know, again, Laird Dave, but, you know, when I talk to people like Brody or you know, a lot of other people at Jimmy Terrell at Quick Bay who've been around, you know, knows a few things about paddling, you, you look at that and you go, our sport had a hockey stick of growth. And from an industry and distribution point of view. When businesses grow at the rate that we did, you sometimes have a false sense of security, meaning you don't actually know what is causing that growth. And so the businesses just sort of kind of draft behind sort of the larger environmental lift that's happening. And it happens in business all the time. It happened when I was in country music in the 90s. It's sort of like I, I, I could not keep the ratings down, and all I was doing was playing Garth Brooks. Everybody wanted to hear Garth Brooks tonight. You couldn't play Friends in Low Places enough, but it worked. Stand-up paddling went through that boom. And as we started getting to saturation points, what happened is the sales numbers, as you know, started regressing. And all of a sudden, margins get squeezed, and people aren't understanding where's the next wave of growth. Next wave of growth is going to be hard. Next wave of growth of this industry is going to be hard. How do, we, how do we deal with that? And it gets back to exactly what you're talking about, which is how do we put a product out there that energizes and motivates people to do that? If I'm on that 10-0 Nash board that I was telling you back, back in, you know, night, in 2011, and I'm seeing Mo Freitas Swipper, I want to do that. So how am I going to do that? i got to get a smaller board. i got to go to a different manufacturer. i got to go to somebody else. So it, that is where it is so critical about our product. And as our industry starts maturing, 
how do we develop second phase of growth? I look at that and, and that excites me. I mean, you can tell I get fired up about this stuff because this is what I love to do. I love to look at that and go, how do we do that? That's really exciting. I think that as you see guys like Mo and Kayo, Zane, everybody progressing in the sport and it becomes more attractive to surfing, the way that I see stand-up in about five years is it's just everybody who surfs has a stand-up in their quiver and there are days you ride a stand-up and there are days that you ride a shortboard or a longboard. And that's the way that I see it growing because if you look at all those guys, if you look at Zane, anyone who is down here on the progression project, every one of them shortboards. Yep. You know, um, and I ride a stand up about 80% of the time, but certain conditions, I'm the first one to grab the shortboard and go out there and barrel hunt. Uh, and so I think that as stand up becomes, as the taboos drop in surfing and people realize the benefits to fun and exercise, um, and wave count, you're going to see more surfers add a stand up to the quiver. And then you've got this massive, uh, clientele already built in. Well, I think that's 100 percent right, and I think the more the more you see that happening, it changes that social acceptance, and that social acceptance is a stigma. I mean, there's guys that are sitting in lineups today that probably do; they just don't want to paddle out there because they don't want their best friend next to them to see them standing up. So, I think that you're 100 percent right, and that that's going to be a, a phase of growth. There's no question about it. But I also think too is that, you know, this is kind of where my journey, I'm, I'm very passionate about how I got into it such late. Again, having only lived on a, on a coast that has waves like this for four years, I learned to surf really on a stand-up. I mean, I really learned to surf on a stand-up. And so when I decided to go out on a smaller board, it, it really is almost never. It just sits on the shelf because why would I want to do that? Because I have my stand-ups. I think the growth of our sport in addition to the converts that happen for all the reasons, the growth of our sport is also going to be because the barrier of entry is so low. And, and you talk about this a lot too, Eric, which is that the, the moves that you do on a stand-up board like you do and the folks that you had down on your progression project and everybody that we know are so much harder so much harder in a stand-up because of the size of the board. It requires so much more athletic ability to do a roundhouse, to do the aerial maneuvers. It's very, very hard on a short board. It's really hard, too, on a stand-up. And, but the difference is it's really, really hard to get to a level where you can be on a, on a Channel Islands Al Merrick or a short infinity and pop up on a short board and get down the line. That's really hard. It's not hard to stand up with a paddle and paddle the outside and catch a smaller wave. That's not hard. So I, I, think it's a, I think it's actually not exclusionary in that regard. I think it's a little bit of both because I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for more people to get in the water because our barrier of entry is so low. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and then there comes the whole point of educating people as they enter the water. Yeah. Um, oh, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody does. <laughs> Man. Oh, my God. I've learned that the hard way. But yes, that, and, and therein lies where I think we get bad names for people like myself. It's sort of like when you don't grow up and take the beatings in the parking lot and the knives and all the other things about the etiquette and the lineup. So that's been, you know, th- there is a little of that that there's a lot of truth to for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so when you look at the industry, today where it sits today what is the current state of where we're at 
Well, I think, you know, we've, we've got a maturing industry is what I would say. I think we have uh, an industry that had, that grew very fast, as I said earlier. Yep. Uh, and when, and I think that because of that, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of board manufacturers. We got a lot of people doing a lot of things. Is it a healthy, and, is it a healthy industry right now? I mean, are well, we sustainable? Here's, yeah. Here's the, here's where I was kind of going with that. I think that's the right question to ask. I think that you know, the next phase of growth of our industry is going to be when people who are running these entities become very smart and we think about how we leverage one another's assets together. Um, you know, when you look at a company and, I, you know, obviously I talk about Infinity a lot because Dave's a very, very good friend of mine. And one of the fascinating things about that, about what Dave has done with Infinity over the years is been sort of indicative, I think, of sort of a microcosm of the whole industry. You know, here's a company that you know, obviously Barry and Steve started back in 1970, I believe. And, you know, Dave himself started standing up and you talked to him about that on your podcast when you had him on. And, you know, it really extended and grew the pie of that core surfboard company. They still make amazing shortboards that Dan designs, obviously, but it really expands it. Through our growth phase, we had all these companies that opened up, Eric, and you see them, you saw them all over the place, and they're still sort of kind of out there. Growth is slowing. Margins are getting squeezed. You've got all the issues in terms of the international market and distributors. So I would say that that growth rate has gotten us to a place where we are now sort of at a saturation point. So how is it we're now innovating the industry? And that's why you hear a lot of people kind of talk about that inflatable aspect of the business is because you know it's it's easier it's moving around and for companies that like sell inflatables it's one of the top sellers that they have i think you probably are aware of that um and the reason why is because it's a growth segment that's going to saturate out too so that is where you've got to get into these organizations and these companies and be like okay so how do we push it to the next level and i think that that's why I love getting you know in, in business with with a lot of different people and one of the things that I've learned over the time is uh, I, I'm you know a good friend of mine Jason Shanks in uh, in Manhattan Beach who has our surf shop there is 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 very attuned and keen to what's happening in our little microcosm of Manhattan Beach but we see that you get to a saturation point and how do you put margin in the business and you got to innovate and that's really the bottom line so. You know, do you get into other lines of, of segments of the business? I mean, do you start making things like your own paddles or your own deck pads? Or is there consolidation that happens? So, you know, like you did with Clay, sort of predictions for the future. So if I were to predict the things that I think you're going to see five years from now, I think you're going to see less companies making the products you see today and probably all different aspects of our industry. I think you're going to see consolidation. And then I think you're going to see technology improve that consolidation. And I think you're going to see a better product. because the, the more consolidated an industry can get when it's too big, you actually tighten the inertia of growth in a business sense. And you're able to reinvest into lighter, stronger, faster. So I think that's kind of where we are. So I, I wouldn't be surprised in the future, the next two or three years, you don't see some, some eye-opening innovation or, lack of a better term, strategic alliances with companies. Do you think it's good that some of the bigger players in our sport are basically windsurf companies that just pivoted? Well, I think it's, you know, I, I don't know windsurfing history, but from what I've learned from talking to Dave Kalama about it, who obviously knows a, a thing or two about windsurfing, is that, you know, it put runway on those companies. 
you know, the, the whole stand-up aspect of what happened helped extend the life of those companies because windsurfing was not in the best shape when stand-up sort of came around. Um, you know, when, when I look at it, I think it's good in one regard because you've got people who are experienced in the water. Um, I also think it's sort of it's a, it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting opportunity because I think what our sport needs is just new blood, new people, and new ideas. And so, you know, there's a there's an old saying: you can drink too much of your own bathwater. You know, and you just start recycling a lot of stuff around. So, innovation and new ideas are always welcome, and I think that that's I think that's the real opportunity for businesses that are coming. And I think you're actually going to see that. What businesses are you currently involved with in the sport? I know that you, you you've mentioned a few, but uh, we'll yeah. Get, so we'll it's funny. It, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm happy to. So, um, you know, uh, one I, I've got a couple that uh, I'm really you know proud with, and 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 by the way, a lot of people who just are interested in my point of view, because clearly you can tell at this point, Eric, I don't have any opinions at all about anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was, when I was thinking about this show, I have always called myself the biggest fan of the sport. I yeah. might've been lying. Oh, there you go. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'll, you know what? Maybe that's the one thing I could beat you at in the water. Eric could be that. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, my, uh, I'm, I'm really honored and proud, you know, Laird, uh, I'm a member of, of a team of people. He calls them his Ocean's Eleven um, guys that are involved with the Laird Apparel line, and um, that was a, an amazing opportunity for for him to extend to me. And he's got some real smart guys there with uh, William Crawley and Tim Garrett and some smart folks running that. And it launched, and um, that was a conversation that started four years ago. And I was honored by Gabby and Laird for that opportunity, and and. What I love about it is less to be sort of like, you know, an investor or a partner in it, but but more somebody where they call and we start thinking about how do we advance his brand, how do we advance the things that he's doing. That's what excites me. So that's that's one of the areas that I'm uh, that I that I'm proud of and you know, Jason Jason owns Nico Kai and you know, I I help him quite often and a partner with him down in Manhattan Beach at that surf shop and you know, that is just so much fun because you know, for me, you know, it is his dream. It's his dream to have this shop and that I can in some small way help him achieve that dream is very exciting. And my good friend Dave Bainey and the folks in Infinity, it's like, you know, I, I, I often find myself down there and he and, and uh, Justin and Bear Dog, we have a great time you know, working down there on different things with Infinity. So I kind of have my hand in two or three different things, but you know, there's a lot of people who just out of the blue, honestly, Eric, and I love it, just pick up the phone and call me from all walks of different aspects uh, for opinions. Uh, Brent Deal, by the way, who made H2 Indo and H2 Max, as you know, you know, will will send me pieces of tape to have me look at and ask me for my opinion on it. So um, I love doing that. And, I, and I'm, I'm such a fan because I think all of that matters. I think, you know, what you are doing with the Progression Project matters i think what brent deal did with h2 matters i think what you know dave does with his kalama camps matter i think what brody does with paddle fit matters so when somebody says hey i got a question do you have five minutes and maybe i shouldn't but i, I say yes every time eric i don't know i can't help myself it's a drug maybe i don't know uh well your insight is unique because you're such a fan of the sport but then you in what you've done in your professional career it's very refreshing to get that voice when someone has a question so i understand why these folks go to you and well it's a lot it's a lot of fun 
Yeah, and we're all in the same boat here wanting to see this become something amazing that we know it is. And that's I think that that's what I think the Paddleboard podcast has always been about is trying to share what I see in this sport with other people. Uh, because if you could see it from my perspective, from a, you know, a, pretty much a lifelong surfer, if you could see it from my perspective, um, it's a no brainer. Well, it is. And I think, you know, it, you know, I, I gotta be honest. It's like when you said, Hey, I want to put you on the podcast. And I'm like, I got no business being on your podcast talking about any of this nonsense. Cause none of these surfer guys, you know, there is nothing that Kyle Lenny, when he listened to this is going to get from me. And so I start but chuckling, but <laughs> well, but you know, I know. And, and then you and I talk and you say, no, no, no. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, but, but the reason why, the reason why I say yes is, is for that reason, Eric, it's because that, you know, what I think people need to do is understand that where we are as a sport in all of our many disciplines and, and, and no one discipline is better than the other in my view. And that's my personal view. I think that all voices are needed and I think all voices are required. And what you've done with your 35 podcast, 40, whatever your number is you're up to, is, is a huge step in that direction. And I think that you fill a need that's there. And I think it's a great lesson for a lot of people who have ideas just to start executing on them. There's never a wrong answer. And, you know, I think Clay had a lot of insight about the beginnings and has some great stories. And I really enjoyed that. And even... When you listen to your original one with Pat Rawson, you know, even hearing Pat talk about sort of how the evolution of the board, everybody would tell you that there's no wrong answer. But if we're all pushing in the same direction, it kind of really doesn't matter. If you really think about it from a global spiritual point of view, it really doesn't matter. We're all moving in the same direction. And, and I think that that's what's really sort of exciting about it. All right, so let's let's get a little spiritual since you dropped sure. that on us. Um, okay. What do you what do you love about stand up? What are those moments that that you think about that run through your mind as you're going to sleep or you're waking up waking up in the morning? Well, you know, I mean, it's funny. It's um, you know, I, I work at a place and I've been here for eight years that doesn't doesn't really sort of force you to do anything when it comes to belief structure or give you like dogma to go down. You know, um, Oprah has taught the world for 25 plus years, longer than that, 30 years, even counting the show about, you know, everybody's journey is individual and it's very personal. And, you know, spirituality has had a, a stigma and a, and some associated dogma over the years. And, I've never been one that's been overly spiritual and, and I've been exposed to a lot of things and she's provided, you know, us and companies tremendous opportunities. You know, she, we've talked about, you know, publicly that she provides meditations for her employees. And so we've done that and I've been trained in TM and I've been trained by this and I've been exposed to that. And to be really, really honest, I never really have ever connected with any of it, but the, when I think about what happens to all of us, and I, and I don't want to say that I speak for everybody who's in the water, but you know, certainly I believe you know, the vernacular of the word stoke you know, as a 45-year-old business guy running networks doesn't quite work unless I'm trying to be cool. Really what I'm saying and really what we are saying through that is that we are connecting to something that's much bigger than us. 
I believe the, the act of riding a wave, no matter if it's a two-foot face or a 20-foot face, has the same fundamental energetical connection for all of us. And it's what we chase. It's that we're connecting to raw power. And we're connecting to something that reminds us that we're, something, we're part of something bigger. And to, so for, for me personally, being in the water, whether or not it's being hammered on the inside, can't get up, and all the tragic wipeouts that many of my friends have seen me and pulled me out of, is, is deeply spiritual. It is. And it is something that when I put my head down at night, you know, I feel very fulfilled after I've been in the water. Even if I'm only on my race board and I'm just paddling a blackfish down the harbor, I feel that glide and I feel that recognition. So, so to me, that's what I get out of it. And I think that, you know, the excitement and the thrill, and this is where the coaching from a lot of my friends comes from, is like, you know, understanding and learning and reading and pushing yourself. There's a growth to that. And so the more you push yourself, the deeper it becomes. The, the more growth you get, the more connected you get. So you know, that's what I get from it. And the best part about it for me personally is that I wasn't looking for this. I did not move to L.A. I did not want to have come out here with a desire to learn to go get in the water. It just sort of happened. And so for me, that's why it's more spiritual to me than maybe others. So I'm going to switch gears completely on sure. you now. And and on our audience a little bit, but I would be remiss if I did not ask you, having uh, had the opportunity to work alongside Oprah now for, I think you said eight years, what are, what are your biggest takeaways and lessons that you have learned from the organization and from her personally? Well, I'll, I'll, speak, uh, I'll speak to the to lessons from, um, from, the, from, a, from a business point of view. Um, you know, I think, we, we talk often, you know, internally and Sherry Salata, who's my co-president here, we recently were uh, doing this event for Fast Company. We started talking about this and a lot of people focus on, you know, the success of the network and where it is today. But again, having been with Oprah for eight years is that there's sort of a sequencing to what it is we do and why we do it. And what I mean by sequencing, it really means like this, is that that you establish a mission. So Oprah, from the onset of her career, has a mission. And the mission in its purest form is, you know, empowering people to become the most fulfilled part of themselves, live a better life. And it takes on many different definitions of what that is. So that's the mission that she's been on. And everybody, even today at OWN, signs up to help advance that mission. The second part about that is, is that the creative teams then look at that mission and figure out how do we convey that mission and it through entertainment. So for 25 years, it was the Oprah show. For 25 years, it was, we do that for a variety of shows. And there's 4,300 some odd shows that actually quantify what that is. When we go to the network side of things, that was the challenge with the network was how do we create that and do that? The last part is how do you monetize it or the commerce? So the sequencing is mission, creative, commerce. And so that's where when you create the content, you aggregate audiences, and then you determine at a very high level, do I put that on the cable platform? Do I put that on the digital platform? Do I do something else with it? Is it a piece of magazine content or whatever it is? So the, the discipline that she has had 
through some of the greatest successes in the history of television, through some rocky times here, through enormous success that we're having now, the one thing that she's never deviated on, Eric, is that order, mission, creative, and commerce. What I've seen in my career and in my past, and I see it happen today, is that it always starts off with whatever the cadence would be for companies, and then that commerce piece gets in way of the creative piece. And then you're on a mission, and then you got to figure out, okay, how much money do you have to do the creative? And then eventually the mission sort of kind of goes away, and then it's all about the money. And then you see people say, oh, by the way, we actually do some good things too. So you know, I would say what people probably don't know the most of is that she is just so steadfast just about the mission of what we're trying to do. And she puts a team of people around it so that we do it. So... You know, I would say that that's probably the single greatest thing about her as, a, as an entrepreneur and a businesswoman that you can see. Uh, personally, for me, you know, I would say that it's the, the true embodiment of empowerment for yourself. So Sherry and I are responsible for, you know, a very big company together. And there was a running joke for many, many years, and when I was working at Harpo, that I would walk out the door no matter what it was at 5 o'clock. And to a certain degree, I still do the same thing here at home. And I would do it because my, at the time when I was at Harpo, my youngest daughter, who's Hudson, was getting ready to do bath time. And so I would, I would have to leave at 5 to be home by 6 because she'd be home by 7. And it was like that was the one thing that was important to me. So there was, a, there was a moment early on in my tenure at Harpo when we had a meeting and I looked at my watch and it was like 5.15 and Oprah said, are, are you in a hurry? And I said, uh, no, I, I just, you know, she goes, what is it? I said, I just like to be home at six so I can put my, my daughter to sleep and it's my one time I get to see her and it's just important that I see her, da, da, da. And she goes, well, go. I said, okay. And, you know, I had this like, oh my God, I walked out of the meeting and I was very insecure about it. So a couple of days go by, she, you know, we were in a meeting and she looked at her watch and the meeting was running long. She goes, Eric's got to go. It's five o'clock and he's got to go home to his daughter. And I was like, wow, that was interesting. And from that moment on, she's always recognized that. And she said to me one time, a couple of years later, that that moment in her office was one of her proudest moments with me because she recognized the balance in my life. And so she's pushed me in that direction. She's pushed me to become more of a father. She's pushed me to become a better executive as a result. She's pushed me to literally, and this is all true, to embrace this passion of surfing that I have. She's pushed me to try to deepen this spiritual connection. She called me two weeks ago, right after the first of the year. I was like, explain to me again what happens when you're in the water. Same question you just asked me. And so we talk about it. So she encourages that as a person. So, you know, it's, it, it really is a beautiful thing because it's the, it's the personification of personal growth and professional growth that, you know, you could only ask for. And of course, is the one that can give it to you. What is your personal definition of success and how does happiness play into success? You know, um, I'll, I'll answer I'll answer the success question two ways. So on a professional side, you know, I think, you know, numbers are one thing. Um, and certainly quantifying, you know, goals and improvements and, you know, those are all important things. 
from a business point of view, I have found such great satisfaction to me that helping people achieve some of their dreams by whatever I can do to contribute really gets my juices going. And it also, I think, kind of explains why, Eric, when you know, folks in our industry will call me for help, I, I always answer the call and want to help because I, have, I, I get such joy out of knowing that I help contribute to that. I can never do what Oprah's done. Nobody ever will. But to be able to say that you had a hand in helping with in developing teams and working with partners to do that, 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 that gives me such satisfaction. Oh, by the way, if you can be successful along the way, I think that that is great as well. I think, though, again, and this is really a shift that she made in my life, you know, and I give her all credit for this, is establishing such a balance between your family and your personal life with your work life and encouraging you to do that. So to me, you know, when I pull back from those two sort of pieces of balancing, when I, when I feel the most happy and the most success is when I feel like my life is in a really good balance. And generally speaking, when you get to that sort of balance point, you can pull back and say, that's it. That, that is where I'm supposed to be. Where I get into trouble is when, you know, I get out of balance. And I'm aware of it now. And I can figure out what I need to do to, to lean into either side of that. So, so success for me comes in that way. And, and it's not about money in a bank account. It's not about you know, press releases or anything else. And for sure, that's all a beautiful and wonderful thing. But you know, I, I've learned that the happiness that flows through your blood and into the marrow of your bone comes from that balance and success. Well, this is an instant favorite podcast for me. Um, what would you like to leave the audience with? Well, first of all, I'd like to clarify that I am not an expert in paddle surfing. So if anybody thinks that I can give lessons, let's, let's eliminate that, that completely because um, I, I'm just, you know, I, I like to think of myself when it comes to this regard as just a complete Uber fan. I mean, that's really what I am. And, and, and I want... I want to see people like yourself, Eric, people that are invested in this industry to find ways to go to the next level. I think that that's just, that's very, very exciting. Um, and I think that what we as an industry would have to do, and this would be sort of my final kind of thought on, on this topic, would be we have, we have to embrace the innovation opportunities we have. And I think that oftentimes there's a friction that happens between factions in our sport, whether or not it's manufacturers and tours and tours and whatever it may be. I think we all have to understand that we're all connected. We're all chasing the same thing. And that if we're all just moving in that same direction together, this industry is going to continue to grow. And I think that our best days and best years as a sport as a participant in the sport and as a business person in the sport are directly ahead of us. And so, you know, I just would say thank you for what, what you do, Eric, what, you know, you do down uh, with uh, Blue Zone down in uh, Nosara. Uh, those are important. And, you know, this podcast is, is important. And somebody like myself who can listen to it and learn from a record point of view what's happening is very great. So, uh, again, 
I'm flattered that you even uh, reached out and, and offered the opportunity to do it. So thank you for that and uh, best of luck. Well, I'm honored that you've been on the show. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we will be sharing waves very soon. Yes, I'm on my way on the next flight down. The waves are gnarly here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric, have a wonderful day. You too, buddy. It's the Paddle Podcast.